You are listening to Creating Phenomenal for Your Life, episode number 31, Optimal Health. This is Creating Phenomenal for Your Life. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a lover of learning, a life and weight loss coach, and a family medicine doctor. This podcast is about mindset. What contributes to a life that thrives versus one that is stuck? We'll talk about many things, some related to coaching, some related to health, and some related to your questions, thoughts, and prompts. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to celebrate where we're at and give form to where we're going in our perfectly imperfect journey to a phenomenal life and give high fives along the way. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. This episode, talking about optimal health, it comes as the result of experiencing illness this week, and wow, it has been humbling. The respiratory illnesses that are going around this area, they're wicked bad. Stay away. (laughs) I had to make peace with my medical training this week. Like My brain could come up with all sorts of stuff, all the complications, the things I see in the hospital, the what ifs, what if this happens, what if that happens. Remember that patient? Do you remember what happened? (laughs) I'm glad to have my own doctor that I could go to and discuss it with to really shine light on what was unnecessary fear and what we could do with the current situation. And know this, I didn't Google anything. And I encourage you not to Google anything when it comes to medical because it's always going to tell you the worst case scenario, which is usually cancer. So don't Google. There's an online physician's group and several times a day, there are requests for either support or additional information or additional expertise from each other about our own diagnoses or our family member diagnoses. So know this, we are not immune. Like you knew that, right? Doctors aren't immune from getting sick. Just because we are professionally trained in one area, it doesn't exclude us from anything in life. It's the same for other professions, like your accountant They still have to pay taxes and balance their own accounts. And your vet, their pets get sick too. And teachers, they still have to take classes and be students. And physical therapists, even they get injured. And doctors get sick. I say that really to bridge the gap between doctor and patient because sometimes that gap is huge. Like patients think that we really don't understand. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that doctors don't care or don't understand, or don't carry the burdens. But I want to let you know that we do in each area. And sometimes we even share the same infections. (laughs) My family doctor was incredibly helpful this week. So I hope you have a doctor that you trust to both advise you and to help create your optimal health, which is what we're going to talk about. The good news is that today is a much better day, and it's the perfect time to talk about optimal health. Let's start with a definition. The World Health Organization, also known as WHO, their constitution says that health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease. Looking at an online dictionary, the definition of health there says the general condition of the body or mind with reference to soundness or vigor. But there is no definition for optimal health. So you're not going to believe this, but you get to decide because there's no one size fits all. There's one size fits one. There's criteria in life, sure. And there's a ton of research in developing the criteria, 
Thank you very much to those who research and those who participate in research studies. So let's look at these areas that we have definite criteria of normal or what's considered healthy. Starting with normal blood pressure. Considered to be less than 120 over 80. And that's according to the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association. These are the guidelines released in November of 2017. What's a normal blood sugar? That's less than 100 fasting. And fasting is at least six hours with no food and only water. As for weight, the BMI or body mass index is generally accepted as a marker of normal or not. And a BMI of 18.5 to 25 is considered normal or appropriate weight. And finally, cholesterol. This one used to have strict definitions of what's high and what's not, but it changed and it's no longer one size fits all. So it really depends on the cardiovascular risk assessment, which means how likely is somebody to have a heart event or a stroke in the next 10 years? Depending on what that percentage is, that will determine the amount of risk and the amount of risk reduction that's indicated to personalize for an individual. So these can be measures of health, or at least the absence of disease, but in and of themselves, they don't tell the whole story, right? We're more than our weight and our blood sugar and our blood pressure and our cholesterol. So back to optimal health, well, seriously, I think you get to decide. One size does not fit all. And you're encouraged to sit down with your doctor and really discuss it to create the picture for you of what optimal health looks like. And remember, this is physical, mental, and social well-being. Here are some components to consider. This time you actually don't have to take notes. I created a handout with these questions in it. If you go to the episode description, you'll see the link to claim it. So you can just listen. All right, number one. How does your body feel? Like on a regular basis, not in the face of a temporary illness. How does it feel when you wake up in the morning? Or during the day? With activities? Which ones? How do you feel? And how about at bedtime or the end of the day? Before or after you eat, does that change how you physically feel? Or while you are away at work? Or away from home in any capacity? How do you feel there? And then finally on the weekends... Or during your time off, how does your body feel? Sometimes our body just gets abused. Like we eat, we drink fluids, we drink alcohol, we don't get enough sleep, and our body is just this vector to get us from place to place. And sometimes physically, we just don't feel good. So that's the basis of this question. How does your body feel? Number two, how does your body move? There's no shame in this question. This is not how it used to be or how it could be, or how it will be. This is how does your body move right now. That's all we want to know. When you wake up in the morning, what do you notice? Are there areas of tension? Are there areas of pain or aching? And how about during the day? How does your body move with driving, walking, working, activities? How about after you eat? Does your body want to move, or is it time to take a nap? And then on the weekends, does that make a difference compared to the week? How your body moves? Area number three, what can your body do? So let's look at strength. What are you noticing for your strength? And it can be as simple as when you stand up, do you use the armrest to push yourself up or are you able to stand up on your own? 
How about the strength to lift up things and carry things? Or the strength to walk a certain distance? What are you noticing that your body can do? Next is flexibility. Can you lean over and pick something up? Do you have to sit down to pick it up? Do you have to squat down to pick it up? How much flexibility do you have in each of your joints? And finally, how about balance? Can you walk heel to toe in a straight line? How many steps can you take before you wobble or fall over to the side? Can you stand with your eyes closed? Or do you have to spread your feet apart to balance? What does your balance look like? Are you able to stand on one foot? And for how long? And then how about the other foot? Is it the same on both sides? These are the interesting and fun things that we can do with our body. We can move ourselves. We can move other things. We can move in certain ways. We can balance ourselves in different positions. And the joy of being a human. Area number four. And I'll tell you for the next three, these are going to be the ones that your doctor is most comfortable with because this is the stuff we learned in medical school. The first three, though, are super important because that's your experience of being a human. So I want to go over those again. Super important. How does your body physically feel? How does your body move? And what can your body do? All right, number four. What are your numbers? Starting with blood pressure. What's the reading? Different days, different times of the day. What does your blood pressure show? And you don't have to be in your doctor's office. You can do this at a grocery store or a pharmacy or even a community screening. This is an important number to know. Write it down and take it with you to your next appointment. Next is cholesterol. What are your cholesterol numbers? And then putting it into context, what does that say for you about your 10-year risk of a heart event or a stroke? Next is your BMI, or body mass index. There are tons of online calculators for this. It's simply your height and your weight. That's it. It's not your gender. It's not your age. It's not your status. So know that an offensive or defensive lineman in football, their BMI is going to be huge. But it doesn't mean anything about their health, and it certainly doesn't mean that they're unhealthy. It's their height-to-weight ratio. So it's the same thing for you. Again, it's generally accepted that 18.5 to 25 is considered appropriate weight, but you have to put this into context with your age, with your stage in life, with your activity levels. One size does not fit all. Moving on to blood sugar. So blood sugar less than 100 is considered normal when fasting. If yours is above 100, how much above is it? And then what is your hemoglobin A1c? So let's geek out for a minute. The hemoglobin A1c is super cool. It's called the glycosylated hemoglobin. So what happens is when the red blood cell is released from the bone marrow and it enters into circulation, it has a minimal amount of glucose attached to it. And then over time, it will essentially equilibrate with the amount of glucose in the environment. So if there's a lot of glucose in your bloodstream, meaning high blood sugars, more of it is going to attach irreversibly to the hemoglobin inside that red blood cell. So it attaches irreversibly, it stays there for the life of the red blood cell, which is about 120 days. And that's how this becomes a marker of what the blood sugars have been over the past three months. As those blood sugars go down, 
and stay down consistently, that hemoglobin A1C is going to go down and stay down. As the blood sugars go up with the same reasoning and they stay up consistently, that hemoglobin A1C is going to get higher. So lower is better. It's a sign of better and more consistent blood sugar control. And if your blood sugar is over 100, this would be a good thing to know and discuss with your doctor. Finally, there may be other numbers for you to know, like your blood count, the number of white blood cells that you have, a marker of the immune system, the number of red blood cells. If it's low, it's called anemia. Some people have their thyroid checked. That's a good number to know if yours was checked. Or their vitamin D levels. I know it, it surprises me how many people in Texas are vitamin D deficient. There was a ton of people in Maine. That makes sense to me. It's cold. There's not as much sunlight. But here in Texas, we're not sun deficient. But yet, we still have a number of people who are vitamin D deficient. So if these have been checked for you, find out what your numbers are. If they haven't been checked, then ask your doctor if these are the right tests for you. Meaning, will it give helpful information? Is it something your insurance will cover? That's what you want to know. So that was all number four. What are your numbers? Moving on to number five. What are the screening recommendations for you? Let's start with cancer screening. So in women, the two that we think about are breast cancer and cervical cancer. And there's been changes in these over the past few years. Cervical cancer screenings, they used to be pretty early on. And what the guidelines with national studies have shown is that starting cervical cancer screenings at age 21 is just as effective and it saves a number of procedures on young women. Super awesome. Breast cancer screening, it used to uniformly be starting at age 40, but now some organizations say absolutely and other organizations say not until 50, not unless there are extenuating circumstances. So one size does not fit all, and this is best in discussion with your doctor. For men, prostate cancer screening. Like, should this even be performed? If so, when? And then for both, men and women, colon cancer screening and when to initiate that. Skin cancer screenings. And then with any history of tobacco use, lung cancer screening. So asking the questions, are these appropriate and if so, when? Another category within screenings are screening for sexually transmitted infections. And I'll tell you, there's no age discriminator. I know this as a doctor because I see it in all ages. And for many people, there are no symptoms. There are so many myths surrounding this issue in, the, in our community. It just blows my mind. There's a belief that it's dirty people or people who get around or it's not nice people or it's it's a certain stereotype, but none of that's true. There are plenty of nice people, religious people, people from all backgrounds that have an infection. So it can be anyone who is sexually active. And I don't say that to scare you, but just to say, this is a great question to ask your doctor. Does that apply to you? And if so, get screened. And if not, move on. Next is a category for other screenings. And in other screenings, I have three examples, but there's probably more. So the first is hepatitis C, a recommendation to screen people who were born between 1945 and 1965. 
and that screening is with a blood test. Ultrasounds are recommended for men ages 65 to 75 who've ever smoked, and that's specifically checking for an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And osteoporosis screenings, so looking at the recommendations for both men and women and when to start. Last in this category of screenings includes anything else. So anything else that's based on family history, which includes diseases in parents, siblings, or children. Anything based on occupational history. And usually most jobs have an occupational doctor to be able to ask those questions and do the appropriate screenings. But if you don't, ask your doctor. If you had anything that you were exposed to in the past or being exposed to now, ask the question on what types of screenings are recommended. And finally, screening for any medications that you take. So some medications require regular monitoring, maybe of the level of the medication or the kidneys and the liver and making sure that it stays healthy or something else. Um, So anything that's recommended for your medications, staying current on when to screen and how to screen for that. Our last category are immunizations. So if you received all the ones that are recommended for your age and your stage in life, here's some examples. A Tdap, that's tetanus, diphtheria, and acellular pertussis. And it's recommended at least every 10 years. If somebody's cut, if they fall, if they've been bit, then it's recommended if they haven't had a, a vaccine in five years to update it. Second on our list is HPV or the human papillomavirus. There's a vaccine to help reduce the risk of a few strains that can cause significant disease, including cervical cancer and anal cancer. The FDA recently approved it for use in people up to age 45, which is a big difference. In the past, it was approved only up to age 26. Third is the zoster or shingles vaccine. Fourth is the pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. And fifth is hepatitis B. Our country does a phenomenal job of administering and tracking childhood vaccines. This is one of the vaccines that we see in some people the immunity can wear off. So if you're in a job with potential exposures, exposures to body fluids uh, such as blood, this is a good one to know if your immunity, if it's continued or if it may have waned. And a simple blood test can check for that. So these immunizations have recommended timelines on when to administer, but there's always exceptions, such as for people with chronic disease. They may need to be given earlier. So check with your doctor. Are you overwhelmed? (laughs) We just covered a lot of information in a short period of time. I want to share this because this is what I think about when someone comes in for a physical. And the goal is to have a conversation about each of these because it's your experience. And we want you to participate so that you're having the best experience you can in your body. We haven't talked about health much in the podcast. And honestly, I think that there are a lot of people that are just like me and don't think deeply about their health until something goes wrong. This is to spark a conversation before that happens. And it's to see, are you living the best life that you can? All right, we've covered the physical aspect. Remember, there's those three components of the WHO definition, physical, mental, and social well-being. So we spent a lot of time on the physical aspect. Let's move on. 
As you align or you form your optimal health picture, consider these questions. How do I want to feel in my body? How do I want to feel in my body? And what's the difference compared to how I feel now? That's an important distinction. And that's going to help your doctor to think differently when they come up with recommendations. Question number two, how do I want my body to move? And what's the difference with how it moves now? The third question, what do I notice is different between the work days and my days off? And what accounts for this difference? Now, here are some questions to look at mental health. In general, how is your mood? Simple question, right? How's your mood? How's your sleep? That may be a better way to answer your mood because what we experience during the day for many people translates into how their sleep is going to go or not go. Another question to ask yourself, how do I manage conflict or challenges? So if you walked outside right now and you had a flat tire, what would that do? What would that do for your day or for your mindset? How would you manage that? And that's just one example. You could pick others. Another question to ask, do my ups and downs, do they seem to be in alignment with others? Meaning people that we trust or we look up to? Does it seem like our highs are about similar, our lows are about similar? Or are we higher or lower? Or are we not getting as high or not going as low? That's one way to kind of measure how your mood is compared to people that you love and trust. And finally, what practices do I have to rejuvenate? To really refill your emotional gas tank. And then what else can be an option? How else can you fill that gas tank? Because it's really important. There's so much that empties the tank. We want to refill it and refill it in a way that's rejuvenating. Moving on in the triad to the social well-being part of health, consider these questions. Who are my trusted relationships? How do these relationships affect my energy? On a scale of 1 to 10, how strong are my social connections? And how strong do I want them to be? What am I willing to do for that to happen? As you answer these questions, you're really going to create your own definition of optimal health. And from that, you can set goals and create a path. As you create that path and you start walking down it, you're going to refine it. Anticipate that because that's progress. So you don't have all the answers now. You're not supposed to. It's a matter of just getting started. It's kind of like setting the alarm and just getting out of bed. Just get started. Whatever follows is total bonus. So when you have more information about what's working or what's not working, use it and refine your plan. But until then, create the plan, create the vision of what optimal health looks like in a way that's really exciting for you because it's yours. If you're already doing it, Hooray! High five! Keep doing it. Perhaps you found an area to explore in more detail or to add some value. So let's go over them one more time. In our triad of health, we said physical, mental, and social well-being. So physically, we're talking about how your body feels, how it moves, your strength, flexibility, and balance, knowing your numbers, appropriate screenings, 
and immunization status. And the category of mental well-being, looking at your overall mood and your sleep, response to stress or conflict, and those mood rejuvenators or restorers. And finally, for social well-being, it's the relationships that you have, the ones you want, and what you're willing to do to create them or strengthen them. And that's your framework for optimal health. Did you notice? One size fits one. Yours is going to look different than your spouse's or your child's. And yours is going to look different today than it will in the summer because you're going to continue to refine it so that it more reflects not only what you see as optimal, but the best version of yourself. Optimal health is something that's totally available to you right now. No one can give it to you. You can't buy it. It's not a light switch that you just flip on. It's something that you access through thoughtful consideration of the details and then working with trusted advisors. I've said it several times, working with your doctor, having that trusted relationship to go over each of your answers with. They're going to be better versed in questions four through six, looking at the numbers, going over screenings, going over immunizations. But I'll tell you, they want to know what your answers to one to three are because then they can put it all into context and with you come up with a plan. You can invite anyone else you want on your team too to be a thoughtful, trusted advisor. There are so many people out there that just would love to be on your team and to help you reach your optimal health. Seriously. So I created a document with these questions. And again, there's a link in the episode description for you to access it. If you can't find it or you don't receive it, email me, dina at georgemdcoaching.com. So I'm wishing you optimal health, sending you a high five and all my best. I'll see you next time. Professional women who want to create phenomenal in their lives and remove the clutter that holds them back, they coach with me. Email me, dina at georgemdcoaching.com for a complimentary discovery call. The time to get started is right now.